HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working building in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Need a professional place to work from? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. It's HRN's 10th anniversary and now our summer fun drive. So show your support for independent, revolutionary, entertaining food radio by becoming a monthly recurring donor. HRN is powered by a passionate community of thoughtful eaters, and we need each and every one of you to show your support so that we can keep bringing you your favorite food podcasts. It takes a village, and every dollar donated, every listener tuning in is essential to our continued success. So set up a donation for $10 every month. You'll show us that you want to be a part of a bright future for HRN. And you'll get one of our brand new limited edition Pizza Pocket t-shirts. So snag your new favorite tea and show us some love. All for the price of about two fancy lattes each month. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate today. And thank you. You know, you know when, anyway. From a birth pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined as usual with Nastasia Hammer Lopez. How you doing? Good. We got Matt in the booth who uh, apparently is going to get married soon. Oh, yeah. It's happening. Yeah, when's that? Mm, next Friday. Next Friday? Yeah. Where are you getting married? Newport, Rhode Island. Mm. Oh, wow, so fancy. I didn't realize you were so fancy. Such Very a fancy. fancy man. I'm a fancy man. Is it, are you going to be at the Breakers? Are you gonna, is everyone going to be dressed in uh, tuxedos? Are you going to have monkey butlers? Sadly, none of those things. Mm. Be right on Easton's Beach. Yeah. Cool. Are you from Rhode Island? No, my parents have lived there for the last, like, half a decade, so sort of. Mm, it's nice over there. Who's officiating? Mm, or best friends. Oh. Mm. Uh, have you given uh, him, her, the <laughs> cooking issues guide to wedding officiants? <laughs> no, I think he's going to be all right <laughs> on his own. I was told that I made, uh, that I made Nastasia's friend the wedding officiant. Right. How could I have made her cry? I've thought, I've thought of the guide often. Yeah, yeah. There you go. No. There you go. Well, anyway, 
Well, since uh, well, are, are you gonna you're you're gone next week, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So if we don't, uh, so happy happy wedding. Thank you. Yeah. Have a good time. What, Give what him you, some advice, Dave. You love weddings. what's uh, what's your uh, what's what are you doing for the uh, wine slash liquor situation? What's going on there? Uh, margarita as signature cocktail. They tried to give me a jank recipe. I was like, no, thank you. I will give you the recipe. Mm, strong. Um, what? Strong. Always give someone the recipe. Yeah, they, yeah. They're still going to F it up, but strong. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, a keg of a very good local brewery. Shout out to Gray Sale in Rhode Island. I like it a lot. Um, and then, I don't know. What are we doing? A bunch of wines. Red, white, rosé. I don't remember what they are. What are you doing for food? Uh, buffet style. Bunch of stuff. Most people went with the lobster. It's going to be like... Real good. That's good. You know what? Uh, I hope they have to open it themselves. I hope there's a like a, a good spray. Uh, just a, a word of advice to anyone who ever, if you should ever hang out with me, don't sit anywhere near me if I'm eating lobster. I mean, I feel like that's the whole wedding is going to be like that. I think we should give everyone individual tables because they will be spraying. Yeah, I've had I've had people like get up, move in disgust, and like leave because of the general spray of lobster juice around me when I'm eating lobster. Because I just don't, if you're serving someone lobster, like that's it, lobster, you know yeah. what I mean? Yup. Yeah. Also, I don't like crackers. I only like using my hands. I don't use any sort of device. I use only my teeth. Teeth. I have, you ever, if you have a big one on the claws, I've almost broken my teeth on lobster shells, cracking open the, the claws. But anyway, lobster cracking, diff- different, different day, different story. Uh, what was that, Anastasia? Yeah. That was round one. Round one. Yeah. Well, here's what happened. In fairness, I told Anastasia that she wasn't allowed to put her foot on the table holding the microphones and jam the table up and down anymore. So it turns out I was wrong. When her foot is not attached to anything, the vibration level is so high. You familiar with, um, you familiar with the Tacoma Narrows Bridge galloping Gertie? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Put that video up. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, check that out. That was, uh, it's the exact, almost exact same design as the Verrazano Narrows Bridge, in fact. But it had a resonant frequency that the wind used to make happen to it. I think it was in the 30s. And there's videos of the wind hitting it at just the right angle, hitting the resonant frequency. And the thing is going up and down like a jump rope until it finally snaps. So it turns out Nastasia needs to keep her foot on the table because otherwise the resonant frequency is so hard that she rattles her phone out of her pocket, all kinds of crazy stuff, right? It was a mistake. Hmm? It was a mistake. What, me telling you to take your foot off the table? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Today we have <coughs> half of the people we're going to have on the air with us today. We have uh, uh, Jeremiah Stone of uh, Contra NYC uh, and Wild Air. And what, how many? You have also the pizza place. What else do you have now? We're um, about to open a wine shop and a wine bar. Okay, I'm going to get into this in a second. We're going to have in a minute, um, I call him Fabulous, you know, Fabian Von Hauske, but I've always called him Fabulous since I knew him when he was like 19, when he started coming to the French 18. Corner. 18. He was 18? He said he was 17 when he came to the, so yeah, I think he was 18. God damn, he lied to me and said he was 21 because oh, I had him drinking at the of beginning. Of course he did, yeah. So back, so anyway, so like well known, like, you know, at the top of the food game right now, I knew these guys back when. So call in your questions, either your Jeremiah or Fabulous related questions, to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Fabulous will be here in, in just a minute. So I knew both of these guys. I knew um, Fabulous when he started coming to the French Culinary Institute. He came twice. Yeah. He came as a culinary student and then as a, as a pastry student. But I'll wait for that for when he comes. It's his fault, by the way, people, that um, the technique of blending and then centrifuging stuff is called Hustino. We'll get into that later. But at the same time, Jeremiah, 
Uh, I think at, at one point was a student, but I didn't really, I didn't know you when you were a student, right? What, a little bit, not you? really. What, were you there? Well, I was, then we knew him as a, he was running the... Events, yeah. Events in the amphitheater. So the way the French Culinary Institute used to work, maybe still does, is we had like an amphitheater and every, what was it, like Wednesday usually? Or like Tuesdays, Wednesdays, in the middle of the week, they'd get very well-known chefs or interesting chefs or anyone who would come and do what I thought were pretty awesome food demos, Right. Yeah, we did food demos, did, you know, private events, uh, we did classes with you, Harold McGee. Yeah, right, but I mean, we had a lot of interesting people coming through doing, like, weird cooking stuff. Yeah. And so it was, like, a great opportunity to kind of meet people, like, learn new techniques, see what was going on, and so Jeremiah was, was down there, and so, I, you know, at one point, like, we were always friendly, but you were kind of my mortal enemy, because I would go F up your kitchen. <laughs> you, F the place up, F the place up! You were not my mortal... I don't know where you're getting that from. You might have effed up the kitchen, but I, I, I love you guys. We, we're always friends. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're fabulous. So uh, he's, he's coming in. So anyway, so like I knew these guys way back when, and then I figured they'd both do something, but I had no idea they were going to start something together, which yeah. was weird. No, it was weird because I actually, when he first started interning for you, I didn't like him at all. Why not? At least right here. You uh, a lot of your interns himself. were very entitled and, you Oh! Know, <laughs> you know, they just, they, they wanted to be part of the whirlwind, so. He's talking shit about you. No. Hey, fabulous. Hello. So, uh, Jeremiah is talking crap about you. He says when you first came to the FCI, he didn't like you because all of, uh, all of the interns were, uh, he said, entitled. I mean, I didn't like him either. <laughs> <laughs> So then how did yeah, you end up, so like, did you like him before or after he had $10,000 worth of sneakers stolen from him? I still don't like him. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, what? Jeremiah was, was, is a sneakerhead. He came to me one day and he was like, I had $10,000 worth of sneakers stolen from me. I was like, who the hell owns $10,000 worth of sneakers? Yeah, but you're assuming that that's $10,000 of, you know, $70 sneakers. That could be like 10 shoes. You know, was it? Well, what was it? It was a lot of shoes. Though. It's probably like maybe twelve shoes. Yeah, just very rare. But it wasn't. It was. I don't think it was ten thousand. I think it was maybe five thousand. Who did it? Oh, well, somebody random because they well they came in they saw they, nope. they took speakers. And it everything. can't be random. Can't be random. Who yeah. knows who? No, no, what they, random thief is like? Man, these sneakers? <laughs> no, but <laughs> I mean, like, uh, it's hard to explain. I mean, like, do thieves now walk around with like cell phones and like look look up the value of crap on the internet before they steal it? Whoa, 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 whoa. only steals your good books and the good sneakers. No, but you see that they break in and they start. They take the TV. They take all the electronic equipment and Who then takes the TV anymore. And then he sees, he sees a pair. Oh, of, this was ten years ago. This Jordans, you know. <laughs> yeah, this is when this is when the biggest TV out was thirty two inches. There were there were no computers then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet this laptop. thief, random thief, <laughs> happened to know about these uh, fancy sneakers. Well, like, you know, everyone knows. I mean, everyone, if you steal, you steal. You steal everything. Yeah. You know, you know what Jordans are worth, you know. Uh, all right. So now you two hated each other. And we then didn't how hate did... each other. I just, I just, when I first just met like... him, I didn't like him because I didn't like any of, like, I, I ended up liking a lot, most of the interns, but it's just the, when you first meet them. Well, it's like you call them entitled, but how much? Fabulous. How much did the FCI cost at that point? A lot. Like a lot, lot. Yeah. Like like a lot. I don't know. Well, how much was it? Like forty? Yeah, just probably shy forty. Okay. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. So it's like this is what Nastasia never understood. We had these interns. They were real crappy. And Nastasia, who ran the program after Mindy, uh, you know, who ran the program first, uh, left. 
Nastasia never, ever, ever, ever understood that these people were not working for us, even though we were making them work. They were also paying $40,000, and this was one of the perks, was that they got to be yeah. in this program. So Nastasia never kind of understood this. You know what I mean? And that's where you're saying the sense of entitlement came from. But the fact, the fact of the matter is, is that they were both, like, they were both customers and employees and it's a hard line to kind of ride. Yeah, I think you know it's also especially when one was inter interning with you uh, you just got thrown into I mean everyone was there at the time like all the chefs who were like sort of relevant at the time were there and you got to hang out with them and work with them and you know like I even with Johnny that I worked with afterwards like me and him had a relationship prior to me working with him so it was just a very weird situation where you just knew a lot of people and then you know in the in a very sort of short and like very close um place proximity yeah so i think it was just very easy to get lost in in that other than just working and that's where a lot of it came you know i also didn't like a lot of them oh you know, no you uh, hated everyone and still do really <laughs> yeah I mean, the, the, the thing that was good back in the day that would like, we you can't what's up, do it anymore. What's <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, know, you love Wee Pop. You just said he was yeah, dead. Yeah, so I said, Wee what's Pop. up, Wee Pop? You know, Wee Pop now owns one of the biggest clubs, and he apparently has the best stereo system in all of Southeast Asia. You know that guy, the pastry chef at uh, Nightshade is Wee Pop's cousin. That's crazy. We, we pop su poppy pop. Bam. But you can call me Bam. As I said, so this guy, he's one of the engineers who uh, came up with uh, Nomiku. So he worked on the original Nomiku, which was, you know, whatever you think, Nomiku was was the reason that circulators are inexpensively priced now. Immersion circulators used to be like a thousand bucks. They were two thousand bucks, then they were one thousand bucks, then they were eight hundred bucks. They're the flat screen TV of the culinary world. Yeah. And then We Pop was like, why does it cost that much? And he started doing the Nomiku. And then as soon as Nomiku hit, Everything was four hundred bucks, and now it's like two hundred bucks. You know what I mean? So it's like, I think I think people don't give the the, the supapi pot enough credit for that. Yeah. But, but remember, like he he shortened his name from Wee Pop Supapi Pot to Wee Pot Supi Pot to, to because he couldn't fit the name on his <laughs> on his chef's whites at the French Culinary Institute, and he came up. I thought it just continued underneath his armpit. Yeah, well, that, and he was like, he was like, just call me Bam, and we're like, nah. What was his brother's name? Forget. Oh yeah, his brother's name was like uh, it was even better. But he came in and we're all like, "Hey!" And then we're like, "Hey, uh, you tie?" And he's like, "How'd you guess?" And we're like, "What?" You know what I mean? Like, there's what? seventeen characters. I like Wee yeah. Pop. Wee Pop's good business. I like Wee Pop Cho. Yeah. Gutterball. Uh, no Gutterball. No Gutterball. No, I hated. Well, who was Gutterball? Ross? Ross. Oh yeah, I like Ross. Yeah. No, no, you know, Ross was Yahtzee. Oh, Ross was Yahtzee. Anyway, yeah, yeah. for those of you who don't know, all of the interns, so we had this program at the French Culinary Institute called the Tech Program, which for a long time was housed in a closet in the basement of the amphitheater. And then we, <laughs> when Nastasia started working, we moved up in the world, literally to the fourth floor, and were put into she, a, she garbage, a, a garbage closet. Well, no, I, then we, we ran out of that uh, hall, like the... the were you know outside of the yeah but he's saying that used to be a garbage closet that was yeah. garbage that was, that was a garbage before closet before that we they were didn't, when we moved hallway. into oh, it yeah you were in the hallway we were yeah. in the hallway oh, in the hallway like yeah yeah and when that we was moved, only like a couple when weeks. we moved in they didn't bother cleaning so literally there was garbage dumpsters in there <laughs> and and the students would just hurl or the you know the, also the staff would just hurl bags of garbage into the dumpsters and so if you've ever been in a dumpster room there's like that line of garbage at the at the level of the dumpster where there's like that spray of garbage it's like you ever like 
Yeah, like on a griddle. You know when a griddle's not protected and you can see like the pancake line from when pancakes are flipped? You can see that line of grease and pancake splatter on the wall. So it was like that in the garbage room at the, at the toss level and no one ever cleaned it. Well, and then people weren't informed that it wasn't the garbage anymore, so... They kept on putting garbage in. would be working and someone would dump a bag of Or they'd have an event and they would just shove every chair on the floor into into our room. What would you do? So, like, I just got... This is where, like, okay, people, this is where I started becoming impatient. I used to be... (laughs) Okay. No, seriously. My wife, even ask my wife, I used to be a completely patient person because I worked with myself, by myself, for myself. Like, when I worked for Uh the lawyers, I did my own job. I didn't like no one. I didn't have to work with anyone. I just did right. my job. And I went home. So like everything was very mellow. As soon as I had to start like interacting with people, that's when I lost all my patience. Like I think I had a finite amount of patience, and it was just never tapped. And now I'm just at zero all the time. I mean, at a hundred, I guess at the boiling point. So like, yeah, I used to just walk in and I would just pick up the chairs and just throw them down the hallway. Bam, 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 bam. Throw them down the hallway because I'm like, this is no exaggeration. Yeah, right. I'm like, yeah. if they have like. So little. First of all, when I wor- started working for the French culinary, they said they were going to build me a lab, right? <laughs> and it went from build me a lab to maybe we'll fire you, right? To maybe when, you can live in the trash room. <laughs> to maybe. Well, they didn't start with the trash room. They started with a cubicle. Then they're like, okay, okay, you're too messy to be in a cubicle. Yeah, remember when they were like, we need to know what you do every day, and then you just wrote on the form OTB. <laughs> What's OTB stand for again? OTB office. Yeah, off off off, off track betting. Yeah, yeah, OTB. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm famously, this is, by the way, how Nastasi and I got into Apple heads. I got into another argument with uh, a partner slash employer who was asking me a bunch of garbage that made no sense. Yeah. And I'm like, no, did I say it? You guys can't. Well, we'll save it for when we do Apple head dolls. No, uh, no, no, just, just say it now. We can bring it up again. Right. They What's said, Apple head? So you guys Apple cannot head, yeah. work together. Yeah, you guys can't work together in other things. This is when we were you starting start Booker and Dax. business together. We're starting, yeah, so like, they're like, you and Nastasia can't start your own business together. And this is when we were doing Booker and Dax. And by the way, at that time, Nastasia, they weren't going to give Nastasia even ownership in Booker and Dax. So like, let's wait and see. This is like, you know yeah. what I mean? Let's wait and see. Yeah. So I was like, God damn it. I was like, if Nastasi and I want to go make Applehead dolls together, we want to start an Applehead business, you're not going to stop me. <laughs> that's and that, and that's ex- pretty much exactly how that happened. <laughs> yes. And it's pretty much exactly what I said. Yeah. Was so, this was this uh, Chinatown Times? Oh, this, yeah. No, this is before Chinatown Times. Oh. This is when we used, we, we also, Booker and Dax's first headquarters was in the back of Milk Bar Commissary. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember yeah, that, yeah, people? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, Tozy hated us because we were such a mess. Every time you walk in there, all the milk bar uh, people yeah, yeah, yeah. would kill you. Yeah, yeah, they tried. They tried yeah. very much. Turns out, uh, I mean, probably at my age now, I'm probably easy to kill. But back then, I was much more difficult to kill. Cockroach. Yeah, but who's laughing now? Who's the multi-million dollar business? Booker and Dax, right? <laughs> <laughs> This episode was brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with meeting and event spaces available for on-demand booking. Looking for the next perfect outdoor location for your next gathering? Host your next event at 100 Bogart's impressive rooftop, just steps away from the Morgan L stop. It's one of the largest and tallest roof spaces in Bushwick, boasting 360-degree views of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. 
100 Bogart's Rooftop is available for your next networking event, fundraiser, special performance, or photo shoot. There's approximately 5,000 square feet, ample space for up to 100 guests. For more information on hosting an event at 100 Bogart's Rooftop, email info at 100bogart.com or call 718-362-3539. And then I had to throw it all away when I got rid of my house. I was like, saw all this stuff that I had like carried around for years, like little pieces of like weird equipment that I've carried around for years. Finally got rid of. You know what I did find the other day? And uh, by the way, before uh, Jeremiah and Fabulous opened Contra Wild Air, they came to. Uh, I used to. Have, we used to have a lab on Fifty Four Eldridge, which was, by the way, is is the ground spitting capital <laughs> of the world, Explain as far as I know. Ground spitting is so like we tried to video. We tried to do a video when we were going to sell the Sears all, and we were trying to do a video in, in, our, in lab. our lab. In our lab. And the, the person who was miking us could not get a clean sound take That's without yeah. a, a, a loogie being hocked in the background. In fact, for years before Peter Kim from the Museum of Food and Drink, Peter Kim from the Museum of Food and Drink is now my generalized ringtone. Him yelling in pain as he knuckles into the puffing gun the first time he ever tried to hit it is, is my ringtone. But before that, it used to be it used to be from the Searsall shoot, like a giant. <laughs> like right outside of our thing and so we would just stand out there and like you couldn't like, like literally you couldn't do a 20 second take without a loogie hawk yeah. and then when you walk oh I saw coconut feet the other I, day I was with you the no you're not the, the, you the peeler, peeler. yeah yeah you remember coconut uh, feet yeah of course so there was a guy he, uh, he worked at the restaurant next door he used well he'd stand he would sit outside on a lawn chair peeling his of, feet in front of his restaurant peeling his feet onto the ground. It used to like make and a it, little pile of shredded coconut on the ground. <laughs> and so we always called him Coconut Feet. It was a veg- like a vegetable peel. It yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was like a, like a Swiss, like a Coon Recon Swiss peel. <laughs> like an orange one. And then people were like, I remember, forget, somebody, the only name was like, you guys have it so easy. You guys, you know, all the resources you guys have. Meanwhile, like, loogie and Coconut Feet. <laughs> The reason literally we don't have a lab anymore is because we didn't have the money to fix the roll-up gate. And the roll-up gate was so broken that Nastasia one day, she yelled at me. So the, her word for, like, the, like, the general, like, female stuff is modka. Everything. Everything down there is modka. Mod- you're going to break like my modka. You're baby making you're, area. And it's the capacity and everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so like one day I'm like, I'm like, I don't need to be there for you to open the office. You can just open the office, you freaking self. God. Because like I was doing something else and I wanted, and Nastasia would not come into work unless she knew I was already going to be there. She would not come to work unless she knew I was Couldn't already going to be there. open the gate. That's, that place was scary. So then, downstairs. literally, she had someone open it and then she stood there hanging on it hanging on it like 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 a gymnast or like a monkey w- like waiting for me to show up and like there's aren't you what you want me to break my vodka <laughs> and we had and then we had some guy quote unquote fix it all they did was pump eight quarts of lift grease into it so that every time we touched the door from then on out like you know, we were coated in grease <laughs> yeah. stinky stinky lift grease and the staff and I were like to hell with it we're out of here and literally that's how we lost the lab yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Such a beautiful space. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah. Anyway, so fabulous. Before you opened Contra, worked there for us. The downstairs with the Jesus poster. And oh my God, downstairs. So the, old the, school uh, New York. We were talking to the, the landlord, room. and we're like, "Can we rent something downstairs?" He's like, "What do you want it for?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "We need to store some stuff." He's like, "Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna uh, like open another illegal gambling joint in the basement because this entire block was illegal gambling joints and like you know." coconut feet people so like we uh, we went in we went downstairs and in the basement for our storage room was just a room a room mattress with nine locks a mattress uh, the the print of a refrigerator you know how refrigerators who've been there for a million years and there's no cleaning they have the line where the coils are on the back of the wall a picture of jesus (laughs) a mirror on the ceiling and then a bathroom with just a hose (laughs) and that's it <laughs> and the locks were on the outside only. The locks were only yeah. on the outside. Yeah. You had so, to walk past that yeah. room to get to the other room where you kept all your stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. It was an amazing place. Uh, I, I miss it. Uh, so then, anyway, but when I came across, and you were there for this fabulous, the very, very, very first Searsall that we ever oh, yeah. made, the round one. I had well, it still. You remember the first one was at FCA when you were yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Shoot it through a sheen wall? You had, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, no, you made the shower. You made the shower head version at FCI, right yeah, before. The, yeah. Oh yeah, right before I left. With Remember that, how people with that got big red torch. Well, I have. The, I should say I have the very first uh, contained yeah, prototype yeah, yeah. that wasn't like shower head. Remember we used to burn the hell out of ourselves with those first prototypes that weren't contained. Yeah. That's how we figured it out. We're like trying to shoot it through this mesh, and then our knuckles would catch on fire, and we're like. Maybe we should enclose it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, by the way, uh, Dax says to me a couple weeks ago, he's like, Dad, how come you don't know how to use Instagram or the internet? I'm like, because I don't care. You know, he's like, someone on Instagram said that Dave Chang invented the Sears oh all and you didn't. Oh my God. And I was Dave. like, I was like, I love this Dave, but I that's just not the case. Night. What? This is what I was telling you last night. You don't Nastasia Lopez says I'm not allowed to like a post that she puts up. No, He'll like. She's a like. Story. It seems robotic. No, he'll like a story, and I said we're close enough where I don't care that you like a story. It seems but robotic. if I like your story, doesn't that help other people see your story? No. No, man. That's uh, not yeah, no, it works. God, it does so, work like that. No, yeah, no, that's not true, Jeremiah. If he, I trust story, Jeremiah's skills over yeah. your skills, Nastasia. But what does he do? Like, say I like it. He'll DM me. I like I this. Yeah, hit, that doesn't help anything. No, I, just, <laughs> I, I hit the like button, so it's. But there's no like button it. for the story. Exactly. You press on it, and it puts a heart on it. DM Dave. Um, you like press on it and puts a heart on it. No, but you're sending her the heart. Yeah. I don't care about this stuff. <laughs> so, you guys is opening a wine store. How are you getting around the laws here? What laws? We're, we're, <laughs> we're currently navigating all of them. Well, You have to have a separate owner for the wine store, technically, right? A separate LLC. Yeah, well, so we have a wine shop and a wine bar opening next to each other, but they're, we're allowed to, as, as um, liquor license owners, um, we have one off-premise license, which is the shop, and then you can you can only if you have an on-premise, which is what you have in a restaurant, you can only have one off-premise. I didn't know you could have any. So you could have a hundred restaurants in one shop. I didn't know you were allowed any. If you're importing, you can't. But if you're only, if you have a, a sort of let's say a restaurant, you can. Really? Yeah. You can have one. Yeah, and then the uh, problem is when you're bringing alcohol in, you can't have a importer and also a, like a retail shop. Right. Well, you also can't technically have a grocery store and a wine store. Yeah, because they yeah they split beer and grocery as one category. This is this is a super old law to basically make it fair for the people who are in 
you know, so beer and grocery is allowed to be sold together, and wine has to be sold separately. So you can't. This we, is New York people, by yeah, the way. Yeah, we can't sell a piece of cheese in the wine shop. Yeah, yeah. no it's beer, crazy. no. Cider. No, but also like, remember, you can't. This is why Trader Joe's wine store is like a block away from Trader Joe's, the Trader Joe's, yeah. and why Whole Foods started a wine store on 59th Street and they couldn't because it has to be separate buildings, like separate structures, yeah. like all sorts of. You can't just have like a, a different entrance. It needs to be like a different. You need like demising walls. And this law clearly, this law clearly, uh, you know, is important because no one in California like can get good wine at all. <laughs> <laughs> Where you can buy wine like anywhere. Yeah, well, in California, you can have a restaurant and sell wine there at, in the same space. So why are we here? <laughs> Just crazy. Because uh, we're not we're not gonna sink into the to the ocean. Right? <laughs> ah, man, have you like it's like that's never gonna. People have been saying that since I'm I'm a kid that it's gonna sink off, fly off into the ocean. That was I the whole thing. It's gonna Superman fly movie. first. <laughs> well, what'd you bring, Jeremiah? All right, so talk about the wine store. When's this gonna open? Uh, we're gonna open in September. Now you guys were early on the. Is that a? Is that like a like a real open in September or that's a? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We hope. It's yeah. Not, yeah. You're jinxing yourself, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> it's gonna open before next September. <laughs> yeah. All right. So listen. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, I don't know. If maybe you've been under a rock or you haven't been paying attention. Uh, you guys have made... How long ago did you open Contra? Like four years? Three years? Six, Six. years ago. What? Yeah. What? Six years ago. What? <laughs> yes. What? Oh my God, does time accelerate. Yeah. Oh my God. Six years ago? 2013, yeah. Jeez Louise. Oh my God. So anyway, six years. What about Wilder? Four, four. years ago. Wilder's the four-year-old, yeah. All right. So um, for those of you that don't know, over the past six years... Uh, Jeremiah and, and, and Fabulous have become kind of huge powerhouses in the food world. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. Uh, I knew them when, uh, but I did. No, you, we, I, I mean, we often talk about this, but you, I mean, you're the, the reason why the restaurants exist is, is because of you, because we met basically through you. Hello, I appreciate so that. Nice. So nice. And they, uh, they have a cookbook out. How's that doing? It's doing great. Uh, yeah. We're in our second pressing. It's called A Very Serious Cookbook. Um, and uh, it's on sale now. Yeah, on the, on the Amazon. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so a, dr- uh, a drone will bring it to you. So six years ago, uh, Jeremiah and Fabulous, when they first opened, they were the earliest people that were playing at the level that they were playing at in New York City that I'm aware of. That was a food place, food place, food that uh, food food. Food library. You see uh, Metalocalypse? Anyway, uh, food library. They, they're the first place I know of at that level of food that was very dedicated to natural wines. Is that true? I mean, that's my impression, but is that true? In New York. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I, would, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, would, I would give credit to um, um, two of our good friends, um, Arno Earhart and, and Jorge Riera, who, had, who were uh, running 360 in Red Hook. Um, in 04, which um, was like a really simple menu. They did like a $25 set menu, just like simple kind of fresh food, great ingredients, and just, uh, and they, um, that was really one of the, and, and also EC from Laurent Sayard, like much more bistro driven. Um, but I would say in Manhattan, we were like, there was not a tasting menu, not a restaurant that was, you know, trying to do something that was elevated that had an entire list that was natural what we what we classify as natural wine, even though I mean 
Yeah, stupid name. And at the time, I made fun of you like relentlessly. Yeah, everyone did. I mean, you, you don't now. <laughs> well, I do, yeah, I still do. But I mean, and so I think we've gone like kind of full circle with the like all like I was talking to Jack Schramm, uh, you know, the, our head bartender, who is a, also a huge proponent of uh, the natural wines. And uh, in fact, his ex-girlfriend used to work for you for a long time. But, yeah, Mackenzie. Yeah. She's, she's but um, the, the thing is that I think even like the the higher that like the old school sommeliers have kind of come around somewhat to your point of view right well I just think that we've gotten to the point where if you just need to have like some of these wines on your list for younger people to relate to that yeah but what is I don't get it I honestly I like it's 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 I don't understand how it's happened here's what I think and you tell me why I'm wrong because I'm sure I am it's like you have a like the old school like to to play the old school sommelier game, right? It's all it's only about like super expensive. It's about can I get this rare super expensive thing, right? Yeah. There's well, what do you mean by old school? So that's like like Jean Georges tw- twenty years ago. So what I'm saying is yeah. like no, like know, the, the there's there's a generation between now and that. Which right, but like a lot of that generation still like pe- so people like in their late forties from my age, right? Like late forties, like these people still grew up. Well, it's a luxury thing. If it's pricey, then it must be good. Well, but there's also like there's certain things that are recognized as the top of their of yeah. their game. Yeah. Like you, you know, have like how like how much of the you know the old growths have you had? Like this year, that year, et cetera, et cetera. Some kind of shortship of like some lesser known things. But by and large, the the people out spending money, if they were going to drop money, they dropped money on something that was known, had a certain kind of pedigree, and it was kind of about that. You know what I mean? Well, people, yeah, people don't want to spend money on something that they can't, um, you know, that they can't fully predict, or you know, there's if there's not very little consistency, or if there's no understanding of exactly mm. what you know they're going to experience, because you everything is everything is so dialed in, you know, because when you're talking about conventional wines, so much so much of the wine is about what like what you're learning is through, you know, I know what. Like this year should take. That's why they. That's why those guys can. You know, they advance psalms, and when you do your masters, they can blind stuff. They can. You know, that's why they study that because it's something that you can study. It's something tangible that you can study and learn. Certain right. years, certain regions, certain grapes have a certain profile, but they don't. You know, they don't always really appreciate the wines that are simply made because this is really how people used to make wine. But it's kind of like when you're making wine. Well, you used to make wine when. Hundreds of years ago. Hundreds of years ago. Which, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, it's like, you know, I mean, I'm pretty sure. My, you ever had wine on my honeymoon? You're talking you like in, Greece or something? I was in Italy. Okay. I pulled over to the side of the road, and this lady was like, you know, try my wine. Yeah, not everyone does it well. And it was garbage. <laughs> garbage. Yeah, and by the way, sometimes- I, was, I was like, very young guy. Like, we were like, we were like like drinking prosecco like it was soda pop. All right, I mean, like, I'm not saying I was like I need to be fancy, but even I. Yeah, you know no, I mean, I mean but, the, but there's no one saying that everyone that makes wine just because they're doing it, you know, at home and it that is done right. I, I make mean, my I make my cars the way we made them hundreds of years ago. <laughs> not at all. You do. You build everything yourself. I so do. That, not even if I'm bad at it. Yeah. But yeah. I no. But I, I mean, it's, I mean, it's less about. It's not like oh we've we've come up with all these ways to improve things. It's just we've come up with ways to this is I mean making wine is one of the oldest, you know, beverage. even conventional is old. Yeah. I mean but like making wine conventionally like 
it's it's brought it to a place where there's you know it it it's dialed it in, which I don't I don't necessarily think is guy in front of me eating, eating pizza, pizza with a knife and fork. Knife and what fork. country are these people from? Are they speaking English? Can you lip read? Probably. Yeah, they're speaking English. What the <laughs> hell? No, no. What's worse, no. eating a pizza with a knife no, and not, fork or eating crust and first? What language are they speaking? What's worse, crust and first or, or knife and fork? Knife and fork, I'd say. Knife and fork worse than crust and first? Yeah, why would you? <laughs> no, crust and first is the worst thing ever. Really? Yeah. So one of Dax's dirtbag buddies, you have uh, no handle. We, like, we had a birthday party <laughs> and we took a picture and sent the bi- picture to Miley, uh, my sister-in-law who runs the Food Network magazine, and she says nothing but this. WTF crust first and then we like zoomed in on the picture and like of all these kids there she noticed that this one kid was eating crust first and I was like oh yeah he can't come back to my house (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's just like uh, there's no sense to it why yeah why do you eat the handle yeah yeah that's crazy you know what I mean you've just eaten the handle it's like cooking with a pan and you grab the, the hot you know what also, You know what I don't like I don't like when there's no oil so that I can oil the crust at the end and eat it like it's bread I like to oil the crust you at like the end. Like a little olive oil. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so the, the middle generation you're talking about, I think is like the, the Parker backlash, right? The people, so like the older generation. Like maybe like Paul Greco and Joey Campanelli and like, you know. Oh, even Joey has a natural wine bar. No, that's what I'm saying. No, but they're they're more, you know, like I, I think that they're, they had, they took an interest to, um, you know, more affordable wines, new world Yeah, wines. but they're not affordable. That's the joke. They're not affordable. A little they're, bit more. They're, more than a first growth, but they're not affordable. Like, in other words, like, here's here's what I don't get, right? <clears throat> it's like, I can go out and for $20, I can get a really good bottle of conventional wine or I can get a lower-end crapshoot. <clears throat> right? That, to me, like, that's the, that's the What's issue. What's the lower-end crapshoot? What are you like, talking about? Like, if you're going, like, like, what natural wines are, like, less than 20? Most. Come on. Yeah. At stores? Yes. No. Yes, they're no. all 20. What's yeah. this? 20. And it, uh, it's like a... How much does this one cost? This would be at a store. This would be thirty-three, thirty-two. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm just saying. I, you. I, if you it's told like, me, to, I'd bring a bunch of twenty-dollar wines. If but all right, let's uh, let's taste this. So what do we, what do we got? So, my, so, so this is what I'll say. Okay, there's a there's a complete misconception that natural wine. Like it, the overall cost of natural wine tends to be more expensive, but I would say more expensive than the because you have such a range. But we're talking about dollars, like a couple bucks here. Everything is in that you know, 20 to $35 range. There's not a lot of wine that you're going to spend $50, like a lot of natural wine that you're going to spend $50 on. And Well, I, th- I, don't, I don't think it has anything to do with the price. I think where, like wine is one of those things where if you, if, if you like wine, you're going to buy expensive wine regardless. I just think that these winemakers are just in, in line with what the food world is becoming, you know? And I think a lot of it, it's, you know, when, when we work with you, the food just like the tendency was to be like modern and like use technology and do all these things to make the product better and then that turned and you know now it's all about farming where your vegetables come from where everything comes from you know it's it's but everyone th- who was good at anything back in the day cared about that stuff too no. yeah but i think it was That's a little i think it was a little less they cared about they cared about products being good but not necessarily like seeing outside of you know now there there's I mean, just, I, I, that's just not the, you know that's not the case back then was when that's back when uh, I mean I mean you Dan remember Barber was doing all of his Andre Soldner used to have to he makes his tartan with white bread 
you know. Andre like, Soldner though is like eight generations before yeah. any of us. He opened freaking Lutes in 1962 or so 63. So what years are you talking about? I mean, I think what I what, like the technology stuff wasn't happening. Andre Soldner didn't have a vacuum no, machine. Really. And when I asked Andre Soldner why he never had a vacuum machine, he said, "I buy fresh every day. I do not need a vacuum." And no, I was but, like, "But I think it was." <laughs> and I was like, "You know, very what I mean? very few people had the the economical capacity to run a restaurant that could be technological." At some degree, and also care about the produce they were bringing in. But no, but all, the people who were technological were all spending ridiculous amounts of money on their food, all buying from like local, all stuff. I mean, look at where like Wiley used to buy his fish from. Look at the food cost of someone like, crazy food cost of someone like uh, Lee Brandt back in the day, who was running like over 50% food cost because right. he was shipping in this very specific thing from a very specific producer. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, think that's I just think it's a false argument. No, no, no I, that's think, what I, talking think, about, like, I think the like quality. Bringing in fish from the, Japan versus. The quality was always there, but I think now it's more important to be close to it than. You know, flying fish from Japan. Like we do is we talk to fishermen who fish, you know, we who have fish who it's domestic and it's close and we can have an interaction with it. Where like we know, you know, it's not about you, asking. You're pulling out your Noma stuff. Fabulous. No, also worked at Noma for a no, while. No, I'm not pulling my Noma stuff, but you know, at the restaurant we ask the fishermen, hey, like what's the best we can you get? You forage this? for mercury in the Hudson? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of, uh, you know, getting halibut every week for the last five years. You know, I think there is a difference, and I think with these winemakers, it's the same difference. You know, these people become available to you. You can talk to them. You have the information of what's happening as opposed to, you know, just buying wine from France, not ever talking to the winemaker, not knowing who picked the grapes, not knowing how the grapes were picked, not knowing all of this stuff. I mean, but, I mean, look, I don't deal with the wine buyer, but I know even the big spirits, like the actual makers, come and talk to you when you own a place. I mean, it's not like, for the average person, the average person's not going to know anyone. No, Because they're just going to a store. And the average chef who's interested in wine, average bar owner or sommelier, can know all of the people that make all the stuff at every level. That's just the truth in the industry. It's just, what I think it is... Can or cannot? Can. That's not true. It is 100% true. With liquor, you mean? With liquor. Oh, yeah. with liquor. And and uh, of like some like a lot of the wine buyers, a lot of the wine importers who do wine and liquor, they make their they make the wine people available too. You know what I mean? So like yeah, but there's a that's a there's a big difference. I mean, what it, it depends if you're talking about even if you're talking to somebody who is part of the family, it's very different how much they actually are involved with the winemaking or how much they really know. These they you know you end up dealing with people who end up becoming salespeople even though they're some extension of the family. They're the ones who travel, talk about these big wine houses because that's what they do. But if you're talking about understanding the true process of growing the grapes to making the wine and the people that actually do that, that is you rarely ever see that on on that level of the really high end expensive wines because they don't have you know, an interest or time to go and talk to a small restaurant. You know, maybe like a really expensive, maybe like a place like Le Bernardin, they might host, a, or Danielle, they might host a really special event that brings, you know, maybe a winemaker out from, from Burgundy or whatever, but you don't really have that access as like a restaurant on the Lower East Side, you know? Oh, that, that, oh we're the scrappy <laughs> folks from no, the Lower East Side. or whatever, side. or like in Kansas City or in L.A. or, you know, or anywhere, oh, we're just Toronto. Doing- we're just two scrappy little dudes on the lonely <laughs> side. But the, um, you know what I think it is? You're going to disagree. I think it really is, is that it gives you like a unique point of difference. Like the old world was knowable. 
unattainable because of price yeah. and exclusivity, but knowable. Well, and this new world is unknowable because it's so big. We've gone through, we're at the other spectrum now where it's just, you know, there's some people who respect it and who sell these wines because that's what they believe in. And there's also the part of like, it's just trendy. You know, everything now, people now are so visual. Like you said, you know, Instagram is such a relevant tool for marketing. It's like people, you know, someone from Bon Appetit or someone from an important magazine or a celebrity, they post a photo of, you know, the labels of these so-called natural wines are so much more enticing than your old school bottle of wine. So if someone puts it up and they're like, this wine is so cool, the label's cool, and everyone's just, okay, cool. You know, there's like a really famous uh, winemaker from Austria, Guragao, and he has these labels with like faces of families. And like you see it everywhere. Everyone posts about it all the time. And that's like, you know, everyone, I hate that stuff. Don't you hate every, that stuff? everyone knows those wines. My mom knows those wines. My girlfriend don't, knows those wines. What do you think? You're good at Instagram. What do you think about this Insta Instagram stuff ability? Of, of the I mean, there's things I hate about it. There's things that I, I mean, think it's good for business are useful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, you just before you had to deal with media to put your thoughts out there. And like you, it was a distillation of what you believed in that someone listen to what you believed in and then they wrote whatever they wanted and now you can just share your point of view just how it is to everyone that follows you or people who don't follow you right so by the way what are we drinking do you my, like I, it do you like so it? I, I, I didn't <clears throat> like the first sip but i like it now and my it stepfather would hate it <laughs> <laughs> so specific my stepfather would hate it my stepfather by the way my so stepfather I, like t t t he's an old school drinker he's got a he's got a case of of uh, 85 DRC in his cellar that he bought as a future. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's the kind of like drinker he is. Some? He's into like, he has some of that. He yelled at my mom for, a, he ruined Christmas one year because my mom <laughs> bought him a, an, a case of 85 DRC, which is <laughs> Romane Conti, Latash, Richborg, all that stuff. A case as futures. She spent like, I think a couple hundred bucks on it at the time in like 1986, I guess, when the Futures were released for the 85 year. And my stepfather ruined Christmas, yelled at her the entire time for spending that much money on that wine. The single bottle of Romane Conti that he, like, that from that is now worth $25,000 on auction. You know what I mean? And he hasn't drink, he can't drink it. He doesn't know what he's gonna do with it. He, it's undrinkable because he's like, I can't drink $25,000, but I can't sell it either because I've never had it. So anyway, so that, but he's into good value uh, for traditional style stuff. He tends towards, he tends towards, he buys me stuff I like, which is like Barolos, Nemeronis, and stuff like that. But, you know, he tends towards like, you know, uh, Chateauneuf and whatever. Anyway. Uh, he so you like, you like big wines. You like uh, big, look, I, juicy. I grew up, I started drinking I before, <laughs> I, I, I started drinking right when uh, Robert Parker, who's now retired, became popular. So I like, I like that. I also enjoy like the giant, ridiculous American wines, like Turley and like all that stuff. But I also like austere wines. You know, I like I, I like a range of from things. Austeria. <laughs> yeah, Austeria. It's my favorite. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we're drinking um, Matassa from our good friend Tom Lube. Uh, he's in Perpignan, just like in the in the south of France, in uh, the Land de Lac uh, Roussillon. Um, this is, I think, it's. Um, Macabo, Viognier, uh, Muscadet Alexandrian, and Muscadet uh, Blanc. Right. So it's cloudy. Fine. It's it's a lot of oxygen is hit it because it's acetic and oxidized. 
The right? city, I mean, there's a little bit of VA in there, which I think is blowing off right now because that's, and you you were kind of not feeling that in the first sip, but um, so. That's volatile acidity for all you folks out there, <laughs> which is, is AKA the, acetic acid, AKA oxygen was touching the wine. It's like, like, um, like a Wu-Tang, um, <laughs> Wu-Tang rapper, AKA VA, AKA volatility. Um, and feeding it. But and I think that, it. I mean, I think this is, I thought it like, this is 2018, and I think you would have liked seven. 17 was a little bit cleaner, and I was not expecting it to be this wild uh, because I told she, Nastasia asked me if I was going to bring something funky to kind of like show, and I was like, no, I was going to bring something like more mainstream. I mean, the thing about, like, okay, so fair notice, I don't drink a lot of, like, if, if I want vinegar, I'll drink vinegar. You know what I mean? Like, com- a lot of kombuchas, like, I don't like, I don't like, there's more like acidity of, in here than I mean. That's not a. That's not. I, there's other acidity. I don't like. I don't like Basque cider very much. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's not. It's not that it's bad, but like there's a reason they have to pour it from like a five story building for you to be able to drink it. Yeah. And um, but the good thing about that is, is that after the first couple of sips, it does blow off, but also you acclimatize your palate to it, and then you're you're fine with it. You know what I mean? So like, if that's meant to be the thing, that's meant to be the thing, and I'm good with it. I enjoy drinking. I'm enjoying drinking this wine. Yeah, I don't think that this I think is a characteristic a, of all natural wine. So, but there's also a misconception a where people who tend not to drink natural, quote-unquote, natural wines think that everyone who drinks natural wines think that all natural wines are good, which is not true. Yeah. You know, even, not, even, you know, winemakers, you like, you'll buy a bottle of wine and it'll be amazing, and then you'll buy another bottle of wine and it'll be absolutely undrinkable. And a lot of it has to do with it is it is so much more volatile than the conventional because conventional wines have even natural wines have things put into it, but not as much as the conventional. Well, ones. nothing, just a little bit of sulf, a little bit of SO two. That's it. I mean, but so this wine has a small amount of SO two. I mean, this year I don't know if he did. Um, I know in the past he has with with um, this cuvee, but sometimes you know you kind of decide what you're going to do. It's but it's on such a minuscule level. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's like it's not like oh if you like natural wine you you're like I like wines that's not really hey hey family show oh <laughs> I like funky wines yeah, yeah. that's not the, that's what you meant that's not <laughs> that's not the point it's you know there's there's plenty of wines that I could taste you on that you wouldn't know whatever is conventional I mean like as the geezer in the room this was hilarious so two chefs I happen to know you personally so it's not Who's like the geezer? what me oh. So like, Nastasia. like, <laughs> oh for sure. Like when Nastasia is the frat boy in the group. Stop. Did you know this? Dave can only have one frat boy friend. Yeah, I only have one frat boy friend. It's Nastasia. Yeah. Uh, Dude. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. She's like. Anyway, like definitely, if she sits on your coat, she's gonna be she's gonna be tooting on it. She's a super frat boy. Anyway. Uh, she handed someone, a friend of ours, she handed, handed him. Uh, he was like, him, I'm leaving. And yeah. I was sitting on his coat. Sitting on his coat. Why? Who knows? I don't know why she didn't pick it up to put it on the back of the chair. But she's like, I tooted on this multiple times. And then hands it to him. I'm like, this is why you're a frat boy. Uh, so, but as a chef, right, here's the, here's the thing I find interesting about it. Is like all the people I know who as cooks are all about consistency 100% of the time are Excuse me. Jesus. God's choking me. Uh, are all about like <clears throat> wines that like show this difference as agricultural product from from year to year, from thing to thing. So it's like they're very non-interventionist in their wines, other than kind of like this hand of the maker kind of a thing. And yet in the kitchen are all about control. 
No, but I mean, I think someone can attest. I'm. I would rather have like well, eating and cooking. Consistency is important, but you know, there's certain things I find important to be consistent. Other things I like the nuances of it being different, and I don't like. That's why we, you know, we cook every. Excuse me, I just burped on. <laughs> uh, I'm the frat boy now. We, you know, when we cook and when we enjoy eating something, I like that. You know, something might be, you know, when it, when it feels like it's done by hand and it feels like, you know, it, it's not a machine with a timer and somebody that you know is is doesn't maybe necessarily have those those intuitive skills to to prepare something without those things. So, I mean, yeah, can you don't want to be like, oh, we we strive to be inconsistent. <laughs> but I but I rather like you know we're cooking you know we're cooking each piece of fish you know just in and out of an, an oven so it, it it's it you know one person might have a slightly different like we're not cutting each one with like a mold like a ring mold and and making a torchon so it all cooks perfectly I think you're so you're ha- saying that like I might get a bad piece of fish no you're gonna have a different you're gonna have a different <laughs> piece of fish from somebody who ate the day before or who's eating mm-hmm. at six mm-hmm. and you're eating at eight. But, I mean, hopefully it's all good. It's like... Fabulous is giving you a look like he's going to chop your head off. No, I mean... That's fine. Not at all. I just... I think it's, you know, it's somewhat true. I, you know, I, I spent, like, a lot of time in in those restaurants that everything... even I mean, you mentioned Noma, but Noma was the same, you know. Like, even to a, a bigger degree because you were picking herbs. And, like, herbs are, like, you know... no Unless you work in a lab, herbs are just going to look different all the time but you have to pick the herbs that look the same yeah and it's it's crazy you know and i think you just spend so much time in places that like that that you you crave the chaos a little bit you know you try to control as much as you can but there's also aspects of just the uncertainty that are quite appealing you guys still make the squid at wilder no we well we do soft shell crab in the summer do we use that same batter yeah yeah Talk about your super crocanti uh, fried uh, fried batter for the it's gluten free. It's gluten free. Gluten free for the new generation. Yeah, yeah, give it to me. It's good though. Yeah, we just were we. But it's crunchy, but not super hard. I hate everyone who mm. mistakes hard for crunchy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it it's uh, corn and uh, which is weird because I normally don't like cornmeal batters. Well, it's not like a it's corn and potato. You are. <laughs> I'm just potato. Uh, Dave. We have five minutes. No, no, get okay, to your books. Wait, 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 what? Get to your books. Hold on. Wait, first, I got so are you willing to give out the, the recipe? I like potato starch That's because it book. swells like a mother. It is? Yeah. Buy the book. Buy the book. That's great. There's squid, and I guess now they're, they're soft shell crab. Delicious. You don't like this recipe? I do, yeah. It's a good recipe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking in my mind if it works. <laughs> oh, if the recipe in no, the book is the work. same it as the recipe? Work. I'm just kidding. It does work. You know that chefs always Fab lie. gets a lot of DMs about recipes. Well, chefs, like, uh, someone who's an actual professional chef is different from, like, like, they have to take something that they make in a restaurant, which is entirely different from yeah, how you would cook. Well, you know when you make something, a recipe that's very specific, and it works. But then you give it to someone else, and they just mess it up. Right, because they're and, not with you. And like I'm yeah. like, I don't know what to say, you know? Yeah. Like, this no, my mom has been making this this Chinese, like, it's a rice flour. It's like a mochi date cake. She's been literally making it for over 40 years. And she has to look at the recipe every time. It's on an index card. It's the same one she's had. It's, like, brown. And she gave she photocopied that and gave it to a family friend. 
and they just it just was a mess and like that's the thing is like some things you just you write the recipe but you don't really consider oh i kind of well i do this that way and like it's because of the temperature of of my stove and this you know like there's all these little yeah. things that you just can't explain well you know it's like thinking about it. when you put a recipe in your book and it says iota carrigan and then someone messages you and, and they message you and they're like hey i don't even have iota i had cop up and it didn't work that's like yeah and you're like well <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I didn't have a kickball. I had a BB, and this game was not fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah people are, yeah, as we all know, people are the worst. So, uh, okay, so before I get into the final segment, which you guys are going to be part of, uh, explain how Justino happened, the term Justino for blending liquor and... and Justino? So my, my the sous chef at John George, uh, when I was working for uh, Johnny, was named Justin Beanie. And I don't know why we just kept talking about it. And who was it? Was it Weep Up? No, we, well, no not Weep Up. It was, you would call uh, him Justino because we would all do fake Spanish. I mean, Fabulous is from Mexico City. Oh, his family's actually, you could talk about mummies too and Guanajuato. Sure. The mummies. Like right now? The strawberries, yeah. Anyways, but like he used to like do fake Spanish with me all the time. So we would call Justino. Justin Justino, which isn't fake. That's how you would say it. Yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah you want to talk about mummies? Yeah, do you remember when he would go into convulsions? <laughs> like, no, no, no. When you, like, were on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Justino. <laughs> <laughs> like that? Remember yeah. we used to do that all the time? Sounds like you have a Justino stuck on your throat. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Um... Because Fagos would work like a 12-hour day and then come back to school and be an intern. Like, uh, did you ever sleep? Were you on methamphetamines? No, he never slept. sleeps. Anyway, so like, this is how this, yeah, yeah. So then what happened? Uh, so then, what? Well, I don't know. I actually, I actually, you know, to be honest, I don't think I was part of the process of how it began. I, I just came back one day and you guys had made a drink. And you were like, this is a Justino. Like, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so during the time that you guys were there, what was the worst thing and the best thing we made? Oh. <laughs> worst thing, uh, ketchup chocolate, for sure. Everyone hated the ketchup, ketchup chocolate. chocolate. I, I hate thought, it to this yeah, day. I mean, <laughs> Conceptually, you love it, right? Yeah, conceptually, I love it, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was in Copenhagen, and some, they were making chocolate out of uh, rye or something. And they were like, oh, yeah, we made this fake chocolate. I was like... You had wow, wow. <laughs> you're like you're five years too late, Abel. Yeah. yeah. So what, what was good then? The cracker jack. Oh, the pork rinds cracker jacks. No, no, the you, we made the bourbon oh. ones. Wait, which ones? We made uh, oh, the, we distilled like. Uh, the time of the actual. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I I actually like the beaver tail. Puff beaver tail is good. Yeah, puff beaver tail is good. I mean the the onion ice cream wasn't bad. Onion ice cream was good. Actually, no. The best thing I I got it. The best, best thing Orange? was when we went to buy uh, those ducks. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, pressed. So we, the interns wanted to make pressed duck. This was when, like, 2010 or something. No. Yeah, well, the, no, no. This is eight. Yeah. So we went to go buy. I was like, if you want to do pressed duck for real, because the the I think Danielle had donated a duck press to the French Culinary Institute for, like, you know, Sultner or Syac or one of these old school French chefs. <laughs> so it's in the library, and I'm like. It's just sitting in the library. This is garbage. You know what I mean? That, and so, like, I was like, and so one of our interns, I think it was Yahtzee, right? Was it Yahtzee? Yeah, it was Yahtzee. Who wanted to make uh, pressed duck. I was like, well, you know, 
if you really want to make pressed duck, you can't just go buy duck. It has to be duck with the blood in it, so you can't, like, cut it or do anything normal. So we had to go buy a duck from a live poultry place. And I was like, and I can't be part of this in any way, and shape, this or was, form. This was a perfect example why I don't speak Spanish to people, just because because he made me speak Spanish <laughs> to the people who work there. It's in a Spanish and neighborhood. They're like, they're like, we don't speak Spanish. But then you kept doing it. Yeah, and he's like, I told you. <laughs> This is a halal joint. I don't speak Spanish. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah. yeah. Then we bought the dogs, took them back to... I was not a part of this, people. What's about to transpire, I was not a part of. We took them back to uh, Nick Wong's apartment. Because they, who's, you know, yes, from, uh, yes. And then, yeah. Nick Wong now, the, uh, the, the chef at UB Preserve. Yeah, yeah. And they had to dispatch them personally in a humane way, but in a way that was good for the thing. And I could not be a part of it. Yeah. So it's, it was a nightmare, right, for you? Yeah, it was. It was a nightmare. Was the duck was good. Yeah, the duck was good. Yeah. The duck was good. Okay, now, uh, we have a new segment on the show. Guys. By the way, what's the name of the wine shop going to be? People's. People's? Yeah, people's. People's? People's. Not people's. No. Peebles? Peoples. With a B? No, with like peoples. With a peep. Peebo. With like peep. Peebo. Peebo. <laughs> like pee pee peoples. Like everyday peoples? Yes. Yeah. Peoples. Exactly. Peoples. Isn't peoples like a store? It used to be. It used to be a, a drugstore. You remember that? Yeah, peoples. Yeah, it became CVS. Let me ask you a question. Wait, Doesn't this I... have batch search engine optimization? Peoples? Peoples. There can't uh, be anything that comes up when you look up peoples. Yeah. Peoples. 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 <laughs> and then you could do McGill Gorilla, but he was peoples. Mr. Peebles. Remember this? <laughs> anyway, for those of you that like... Uh, so Mr. now... Uh, okay, good. So we got that out of the way. What's the name of the wine bar going to be called? Also Peebles? Peebles. Peebles. Now, is that a legal problem, calling the store and the wine bar Peebles? Well, it's going to be called uh, Peebles Wine Bar. And, and the other one's Or the shop. wine bar at Peebles. We and still the, don't know. The wine bar the at wine Peebles? shop at Peebles. Uh, the Peebles Wine Shop. Peebles Wine Shop. Can you have a mascot, Mr. Peebles, and like have it... Yeah. What do you think their story is? <laughs> Who? This is construction workers? I don't know. Oh, this is the concrete warehouse supply uh, center of the city, which is why all the streets around here are terrible, and you get choked out with concrete dust when you walk out the door, and there's big plops of concrete in the bike lanes that cause me to almost die every time I ride my bike around here. So if you need concrete in the greater New York metro area, come to Bushwick, where it's like hipsters and concrete. We got everything you need. We got hipsters. We got concrete. Anyway. so uh, Go, Dave. Hi, Nastasia Louise. Oh She's God, Louise. Like so now we come to the, it's going to be the final segment. We got no callers, by the way. People don't like us anymore. Can you stop at that? Why do you usually get callers? Sometimes. Oh. We had no questions, no callers. We called People don't morning. have phones like, anymore. Should yeah, we just sure. stop? All right, so this is called Classics in the Field. Yeah. It's about classics in the field. Yeah. So today's classic, uh, classic is actually, uh, you ever been to, I've uh, been to like, uh, like uh, where's Powell's Books? Powell's Books is in Portland, right? So I was in Portland, yeah. and you go to Portland, Powell's Books. Portland, uh, Oregon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've been yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Not Portland, Maine. We've been there, too. Oh. So uh, I was there, and I found this random book called The Bull Cook and Authentic Historical Recipes and Practices. And uh, I searched through it, and it is the craziest cookbook that I think is ever, 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 ever. So the story is, is there's a guy named George Herter in, um, in Wasika, Minnesota, who in 1935 started an outdoor store, like Cabela's or something like this. But he was also, like Sears Roebuck, he had a catalog, and this catalog shipped everywhere. 
And so he became one of the best known kind of outdoor dealers. The, the business went bankrupt in 1977, Cabela's, and it went bankrupt. It's kind of a, an interesting, like, I won't get into it, we don't have time, but like, basically, like, uh, someone who clearly has a certain political bent was like, as soon as they stopped being able to sell guns over the inter, uh, over the mails in the thing, he went out of business. So it was like, but anyway, so it was like hardcore, like they sold guns and ammo and, and so, anyway, Cabela's bought their, Cabela's bought the name and you can still buy Herter's brand, I think like decoys and ammos from Cabela's if you want to. So, but George Herter, aside from being an outdoors person. Was a natural wine enthusiast? It was natural, it was natural wine enthusiast. Uh, it was, uh, that's exactly what it was. But um, basically he started writing a series of books in, I uh, started writing in 1959, published them in 60, called The Bull Cook and Authentic Historical Recipes and Practices, Volume 1, 2, 3. He also has a lot of other well-known books, and you can look through it. Like, his, the list of books he's published are, uh, I'll give you some, Professional Fly Tying and Tackle Making Manual and Manufacturer's Guide, <laughs> Fitting and Finishing Gun Stocks, The Professional Net Making Manual, and here's the good one, The Only Way to Professionally Fillet and Clean Fish. Oh, wow. Strong. Uh, so these books, the interesting thing about it is, is that he is an old school crank, like a hard school, hard, hard, hard old school crank. So, you know, he's a mid century, mid, you know, 20th century, like white guy, American conservative. He hated New York city. He hated all that. He says things that are, uh, whatever, you know, so that comes with everything that it would come with. But you have to read these books because Orientals. Oh my God, that's yeah, that's for sure. Like like uh, like. Uh, that's mild. Yeah yeah, uh, but he's not. It's not like he's not like saying anything. He, he's not intending to be at all. He's not like an, an overt racist in the book or an overt misogynist in the book. But he says things that are yeah like Oriental, which is just you know at the time or like the ways that Native Americans are characterized, which he thinks he's characterizing them in a good way, but obviously. You know, but that's not what's interesting about the books. What's interesting about the books is they are 100% factually incorrect. So he was writing in a time when he, he was one of these weird semi-learned people who traveled the world taking notes on things and then writing, above all, recipe books with all of these weird stories that are just dead wrong. And if you look it up, for some reason, uh, it's, not, uh, it's on the Internet. I don't know why, because it's not in the public domain yet. But you have to read. You have to read some of this. Uh, the very beginning of it says, "In the lumber camp days and pioneer days, the cooks learned from each other the secrets uh, of old world cooks. Each taught each other. Uh, each each taught uh, his other the country, other country's secrets. Out of this mixing came fine food prepared as nowhere else in the world. I'm putting down some of these recipes that you will not find in cookbooks. Each recipe here is a real cooking secret. So throughout all of this, he says he's giving you all these like crazy secrets that you can't know anywhere else." I'm also publishing for the first time authentic historical recipes of great importance. By the way, none of them are authentic historical recipes. For your convenience, I will start with mish, uh, meats, fish, eggs, soups, and sauces and sandwiches, the art of French frying, desserts, how to dress game, how to properly sharpen a knife, how to make wines and beer, which his recipes are terrible, how to make French soap, and here's my favorite, what to do in case of hydrogen or cobalt bomb attack, <laughs> keeping as much in alphabetical order as possible. So for those of you that don't know, a cobalt bomb... 
is when they add stuff like cobalt to a uh, an atomic weapon to make it rain uh, more radioactive fallout on you. And I'll, I'll basically I'll give you the, in a nutshell what he says to do in case of a hydrogen bomb attack. He says uh, that what you want to do is don't go in your basement. He's like everyone says to go in your basement. He hates magazines, by the way. Even though he was a huge uh, catalog salesperson, he hates magazines and uh, editors of uh, cooking sections, especially. Like every other page is a reference to how much he hates these people. And uh, he says, anyone that tells you to go in your basement is an idiot. You're going to be crushed by all of the house that falls on you in your basement. He says you want two five-pound containers of tobacco. He says that's going to be your money. He's like, when money is worthless, tobacco will still be currency. And he says get a twenty-two rifle and a thousand rounds of ammunition so that you can hunt squirrel and whatnot uh, when, when the time comes. This is his uh, recipes for success in a cobalt bomb attack. Um, anyway, let me uh, give you some other stuff. So, uh, like I say, everything he says is wrong. So, uh, like, literally everything he says is wrong. I try to find one. Uh, I, uh, I wish I had time to get into this. He has a whole section on Wyatt Earp. You know Wyatt Earp? Yes. From, from the I OK know, Corral? Yeah. He goes, at Dodge, his boiled sliced buffalo tongue pickled in vinegar and his thinly sliced buffalo liver fried with bacon and onions were famous. His Wyatt Earp breakfast, consisting of half-inch thick slice of beef or buffalo eye of rib steak with thinly sliced onions on top, put between two slices of buttered bread with the butter well sprinkled with salt and served with two fried eggs, was both very popular and justly so. And then he gives a recipe for, here's the Oriental Saloon that Wyatt Earp ran. He gives a recipe for (laughs) Wyatt Earp's uh, doves. And so he gives this whole long recipe. First of all, he goes into how Wyatt Earp used to shoot people, etc., etc. Then he goes into this entire thing about how Wyatt Earp cooked doves. And the whole secret of Wyatt Earp's doves, ready for it? Soy sauce. Mm. Soy sauce. Soy sauce. He has fake secrets for uh, fried chicken. He says, never use charcoal for broiling, by the way. He hates charcoal. Says it's noxious and uh, gives off noxious stuff. He was also a believer, early believer, in alkaline versus acidic foods and acidosis, which is one of my favorite crank health theories of all time. But he says, no... You don't believe in, like, uh, I mean... You don't think that sometimes you need a balance of alkaline and acidic foods? or like- uh, It's all hokum, dude. Like, what, are you going to stick a pH paper in your butt and figure out what your uh, pH is? No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> eating more, like, high alkaline foods when you know you've had a very highly acidic diet. Yeah, but acidic and alkaline don't mean any... Like, in other words, like, maybe if they ascribed... Maybe if they said, if you eat a lot of this, eat this other thing. But, like, for instance, apples are an alkaline food. Yeah. Why? Lemons are an alkaline food. Yeah, why? What does that mean? Ah. Give me a meaning for it. It's supposed to, in the pH-wise, I guess. Of what? Your butt? Well, pH of what? Your blood? Like what? Like, this, like, like no one, like, pH. Again, like, this doesn't, like, make any sense to me at all. But he says, he says, uh, always use hard coal. It gives off no carbon fumes like charcoal. No such things. No such thing. And it gives the meat, fish, or fowl a much cleaner taste. Hard coal never obscures the flavor of meat, fish, fowl, or ch- as charcoal definitely does. The use of hard coal, like anthracite coal is what he cooks with, instead of charcoal in Minnesota for broiling has always been the accepted practice. Many other parts of America also discovered this to be true. The famous restaurant Gage and Tolner's in Brooklyn, which unquestionably broils the finest fish and meat in the East, uses nothing but hard coal, never charcoal. Then he gives a recipe for, uh, the guy liked fake, the guy, oh, here's, here's some fake history for you. 
Mary Louisa Roquefort stuffed chopped beef. Mary Louisa was an Austrian woman, the daughter of Francis I of Austria. She married Napoleon I of France, becoming the Empress of France. The French spelling of her name is Marie Louise, the same as it is spelled in English. Uh, Austrian cooking has always been excellent. This is true. This is not a lie. Uh, she said, he says, Mary Louise was a woman who instinctively knew good food combinations. Her Roquefort stuffed chopped beef, if you like cheese, is one of the fine dishes and like all really good recipes, is simple to make if you know the trick. And then he gives, quote unquote, the original recipe, which is ground beef and Roquefort cheese, like on a, on a bun. <laughs> it's like, as though, and then he says that Napoleon would order this constantly. He said, uh... Roquefort stuffed chopped beef and chow chow mustard pickles. Chow chow mustard pickles are an American thing, straight up. He goes, Roquefort stuffed, ch uh, stuffed chopped beef and chow chow mustard pickles and French fried potatoes were one of Napoleon's favorite meals. I don't know where he gets this stuff. When he was prisoner on St. Helena Island, he requested that he would be served this menu item at least once a week. His request was never granted. I have always thought that this was carrying punishment way too far. And then he also goes on a diatribe about how everyone else messes up this recipe that you've never heard of by cooking it wrong. It's like the whole book is an amazing just diatribe against everybody. Palm Springs, cookbook writers. Like he hates Palm Springs, loves the place. He literally, I believe, wanted uh, Palm Springs to be cobalt bombed so that he could get rid of all the humans and people could go back in there and live nicely. And the one piece of advice I've never tried of his, which I think I uh, like someday if you ever need to. And I think I said this on the air before. If you need to kill a turtle and it's pulled into its shell, what do you do? You put a chopstick in its butt. Ding, ding, ding. Did that I tell you this one? That was his advice? Yeah. I learned that from you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because I learned it from him. <laughs> oh. So, and then you stick a stick out, you put the chopstick in its butt, it bites the stick, yeah. chop off the head. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I just yeah. thought Chinese people came up with that. Well, yeah. No, I don't know. Maybe. Who maybe knows? Maybe this guy did. Maybe this guy did. George Herter, bull, the, uh, the bull cook and authentic recipes. Classics in the field. Go look it up. Go find it on the internet. It's it's like, it it's not as cool now in the era of like, fake news where like you know, <laughs> everything we see is fake all the time. But like back then, like it was a good dose of can you believe this guy actually wrote this book? And some of the recipes I've actually tried. Some of the recipes are actually decent. Almost all of the history is fake with a little sprinkling of truth. So don't necessarily take his advice on how to survive a hydrogen bomb attack. Uh, you guys got any last last uh, words on the show? Um, They're looking at each other, nodding. People can't hear the nods. Check out um, the El Fab and Jerry show. Oh no, can't plug another. Oh wait, wait, yeah, you, you can. can. I, yeah, I thought because, you guys were gonna have us on. Yeah, because we're gonna have you guys on. Hopefully, when are you gonna have us on? Uh, let's do it this weekend, Saturday, right. at like three or something like that. Nastasi no? doesn't like. Where is it? Is it is it shot in Brooklyn? It's in the oh, Canal Canal Street Market. Canal Street Market. Hmm. Right. It's it's on Canal and like Lafayette, right by the school. Oh, that's in the stuff. Does that work for you guys? We'll talk about it later. <laughs> All right. Anyway, thanks, guys. Thanks, Jared Fabulous. Show. Thanks, That'll Jeremiah. Be. Thank you. Cooking issues. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. 
and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.